0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: It's sometimes it's very disconcerting because you, you find a threat, you see, okay, this is actively going on, they're actively targeting, and the private sector is able to respond a lot faster than sometimes some governments than we'd like them to be.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Carol Terrio joins us. She's interviewing Chuck Everett from Deep Instinct. They're talking about public-private partnerships. All right, Joe, uh, before we dig into our stories this week, we've got a little bit of follow-up we here. We do indeed.
2: You want to take this on for us? Sure. This is from Rodney. He writes in, Dave and Joe, you were talking today on your podcast about the social benefits cards not having chips in them. I wanted to mention that I have a f- medical flexible spending card issued through my employer's provider, and it does not have a chip in it either. Mm. You know, Dave, I'm, I, I've i used those medical flexible spending credit cards or debit cards yeah. and and he's right i don't recall that mine having a chip either
0: yeah i went and looked cuz i have one mm-hmm. and uh no chip no chip in mine either interesting <laughs> yeah annoying <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Does it save them a dollar per card or something? It I, might, it, yeah, mi- it uh, might, it might,
2: uh, probably less than that. Yeah, Probably less than that. But when you're talking about millions of cards, Dave, that's millions of dollars. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. <laughs> I was recently, uh, this was recently replaced due to an expired card. So it's not a matter of having the card for years. In fact, I have never had an FSA debit card with a chip in it. So it's not just those provided from the state or the local government for benefits. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great observation, Rodney. Yeah. Uh, and it should also be rectified. Yeah. You also mentioned Wood Forest Bank. While I'm not certain this is true in all locations, the area where I live, they only exist inside of Walmart stores. Hmm. So it appears to be more affiliated with Walmart than having standalone branches. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I I don't go into Walmarts very often um, uh, just because there's only one by my house, and I, I go in there when I need something there. Otherwise, yeah. I, I just— Generally avoid it. Yeah. Uh,
0: but it doesn't surprise me that Walmart would have their own bank. Yeah. I if, don't, that, if that's what this is. It,
2: I don't know. It might be Walmart's yeah. own but It's based out of Texas, if I recall correctly. Is Walmart okay. based out of Texas? I thought that it was based out of the Midwest, somewhere north. or more yeah. north. I don't know. Not sure. I don't keep track. Uh, I also still own a landline. The phone I have has, smart, has a smart blocking feature. Hmm. This means anyone whose number is not pre-programmed into the directory has to say, state their name when they call. I then have the option to hit the number one to answer the call. In fact, the phone will not even ring unless they state their name. I know this because I periodically see it, see it light up and say smart block when it's processing a call. Great show. Love listening on my way to work. Well, thank you, Rodney. Uh, you know how I solved the problem with my home landline, Dave? <laughs> This is really great. Yeah. I just don't have a phone plugged into it. Yeah. I still have a, I still have a phone. I still have the number. Uh, and when somebody says, hey, can I get your phone number? I'm like, sure can. Here yeah. it is. <laughs> and yeah. And they can call and call and call, and my phone never rings because mm-hmm. it's not plugged in.
0: Uh, I have set up something similar, except uh, we have no phones plugged in, but uh, I have the, the landline number forwarding to a Google Voice account. Okay. And when so if a call comes into the Google Voice account, the call gets the message gets transcribed and then sent as a text message to both me and my wife.
2: Ah, very good. Yeah, <laughs> that is excellent. Let me tell you,
0: it's been a while since anybody's called, <laughs> so.
2: Now I have uh, Comcast as my ISP and television provider and phone provider right mm-hmm. now. So from time to time, I will be watching live TV, which I don't actually do very much. I'm actually considering. Turning that feature off. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be like somebody's calling you on, on your phone. It shows up on your TV.
0: Right. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. uh,
2: is okay. But the thing is I I use I also have an Amazon Fire TV stick on that television, and that's what I use to watch TV most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh so it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's great. All right.
0: Well, thanks to uh, Rodney for writing into us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can email us. It's hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com. All right, Joe, let's uh, let's do some stories here. Why don't you start things off for us? Well,
2: Dave, I want to start with some good news. This comes from Celine Martin at USA Today. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce this last name. Jack O'War, would you say? O W? O'War, yeah. O'War. Yeah, it's o- an odd one. Yeah. It is. He's a 25-year-old man of Paramount, California, and he was set just sentenced to 46 months in prison as part of a grandparent scam for his part, in a grandparent scam. Mm. Uh, it was a plea deal, so he didn't go to trial. He just pleaded out. Right. Uh, he was part of a scam where callers would try to convince older people that their family members had legal trouble and needed bail money or they needed money to prevent additional charges from being filed or they needed help with medical expenses from vehicle accidents. Right. Uh, so we've heard these scams. We've covered these kind of scams before. So now the uh, the FBI was involved in this. I don't know if he was tried or, uh, or if he, this happened in a federal court or a California court. Uh, but he was, uh, he was, he's going to be the guest of somebody for 46 months. Yeah. But he would pick up cash from mul- multiple victims. So this guy was actually in contact with victims that were being scammed here. Hmm. And he also recruited other people. Um, I would like to see more people from this network get arrested. That would be nice. <laughs> and and tried or or convicted or pleading or taking a plea deal. I don't care. Yeah. Just spend some time in jail for your scamming of old people. Mm-hmm. Um hmm My main story today comes from Brian Krebs over at Krebs on Security, Mm. and he has a story. PayPal phishing scam uses invoices sent via PayPal.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, what's interesting is I know we've talked about this a lot recently. Uh, We've talked about it. This is at least the third time in the past two months. Hmm. So I'm noticing a trend here. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's going on is these scammers are are out there sending out these fake invoices through legitimate services. Right. And— Brian has a great breakdown on this. Uh, he heard from somebody that somebody actually reached out to him and talked to him about it. And, and here's the invoice uh, that, is, that is sent. It's, uh, it says, invoice updated. Billing Department of PayPal updated your invoice. The amount due is $600. And then it says, seller note to customer. Uh, oh, also, there's a big button right below that that says View and Pay Invoice. Hmm. Uh, it says, Seller Note to Customer, there is evidence that your PayPal account has been accessed unlawfully. $600 has been debited to your account for the Walmart e-gift card purchase. This transaction will appear in the automatically deducted amount on PayPal Activity. This is hard to read because it's so awkwardly worded. On PayPal activity after 24 hours, if you suspect you did not make this transaction, immediately contact contact us at the toll free number. And then there's a toll free number. Oh. So <laughs> uh, the the person who received this said, you know what? I'm going to call the number. I think he knew it was a scam right away. Yeah. So he calls the number and the guy answers going, customer service. Uh-huh. That's what he says. He doesn't say PayPal customer service, right? <laughs> right. He doesn't wind up in jail like the guy I just talked about, right? He's yeah. smart. He's not being fraudulent. He's still going to jail if they catch him. Uh, the guy then says, I need you to go to a, uh, a, 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 what is it, globalquicksupport.com and download a remote administration tool. Oh. So he wants to take over the computer and then, of course, once... You, he takes over the computer, You have he has access to any financial information you have on there, any applications he can get you to log in. He's going to try to trick you into getting money out of, out of it. This is how this works. Right. But what's interesting is this is a legitimate service that PayPal offers. I went in and I Googled PayPal invoicing system, and the first result is send and create an online invoice for free. And then down below it says uh, one of the links in the little indented section. I-, I was remarkably surprised, I was surprised rather, that there was no ad that came up first from Google on hmm. this. It was just the PayPal link. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, one of the links below it says, what is PayPal invoicing and how does it work? So it's actually a short section of their FAQ. I'll read it all right now, frequently asked questions. That's what FAQ means. Mm-hmm. Uh, PayPal invoicing makes it simple to send professional, customized invoices. PayPal emails your customer a link to the invoice, and you can supply a link in your own email. Your customer then views the invoice details and securely pays with a credit debit card, PayPal, or PayPal credit. Whichever payment method the customer chooses, you generally receive your money in minutes. Hmm. You can also manage your invoices, uh, all this other stuff, but it it goes on. Uh, It says at the bottom— Sending and managing invoices costs you nothing. You pay PayPal standard processing fee only when you get paid online. So these bad guys have a permanent free solution right. to sending out invoices from a legitimate provider like PayPal. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Krebs article, PayPal has a statement, (laughs) they say. It says, we have a zero-tolerance policy on our platform for attempted fraudulent activity, and our team works tirelessly to protect customers. Mm -hmm. We are aware of this well-known phishing scam and have put additional controls in place to mitigate this— this specific incident. Nonetheless, we encourage customers to always be vigilant online and contact customer support directly, customer service rather, directly if they suspect they're the target of a scam. So in other words, PayPal says, well, we took care of this one. Uh, (laughs) They have a zero tolerance policy uh, uh, for fraud, which you would expect, right? Sure. But they don't, it seems like they're not doing much here. They, these guys – this specific incident has been mitigated. They shut down the account is what they did. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm speculating, but that's what they did. These guys are going to go out and open another PayPal account. Well,
0: cause... but I – so that's an interesting aspect of it because I, as, as you described this to me, I'm wondering um, – I wonder if they are making use of a stolen PayPal account because when you set up a PayPal account, you have to provide banking information. That's true. Right? Yep. So if they – you know, somehow they come upon probably buy access to someone's stolen PayPal account. And they, they, so they take, let's say I'm the scammer and I take over your account. Right. Right. And then I send an invoice out to somebody from you, right. From your account.
2: Entirely possible.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, the,
2: the victim sends the $600 to your account. Right. Right. Well, actually it's, it's, it doesn't work that way, but, I mean, that's not part of the scam. The scam is just they want you to call the number. So oh, really? There's a, yeah, there's a number on the invoice that says, call us if you didn't order this. And the idea is that then you call them and, they, and you go, they go through the installing the remote administration tool onto your system. Okay.
0: I guess I, I was I – was, um, the other thing that caught my attention was the fact that they referenced uh, gift cards right.
2: in the description of the scam. Yeah, which- they, want you, they want you to think that you're being targeted by a, a different scam. Oh, you think? Yeah, Okay. I think that's part of part of the attack. Okay, is they're saying, oh, because everybody heard, has heard about gift card scams, right? Yeah. Hey, somebody just bought six hundred dollars worth of gift cards from my uh, my PayPal account. Oh. I better check this out. Call this number right now.
0: See, I thought that they were uh, sort of priming the person so that if they started seeing a gift card transaction. That they would say oh they, they they told me this might happen
2: that is a that is a good idea and a good <laughs> observation uh, but again dave let 's not help these guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah right
0: exactly interesting
2: it's uh but that's not what they're going for here they're going for you to call it's uh very similar to the one phone call I got where it was somebody allegedly from Amazon, yeah uh, saying that I had purchased an iphone mm. uh, and i hadn't
0: mm-hmm. hmm. all right, well, I mean." What's the what's the what's the warning here? What's the protection? Uh, I mean, if you just be aware
2: that this is a an ongoing scam. That there's a lot of this going around. Uh, Every invoicing service out there that's legitimate can't really be blocked because you mm -hmm. can't block PayPal from sending you emails. You don't want to do that because if, if especially if you use PayPal. Or if you do business with somebody who uses PayPal, I mean, there is all you—you really. This is something you can't really block. Just be aware of it and know that it's it's a scam out there. If you see any email that says, "This has been uh, charged to your account," please call this number. Don't call the number. Yeah. Check with PayPal to see if there's any activity. Call PayPal. And don't call
0: the number that's in the email. Don't
2: call the number that's in the email. Right. Call the number on PayPal's customer support site.
0: Right. And don't call the number when you Google for PayPal phone number. <laughs> right. I mean, geez, so many hoops you got to jump through. It is. It's Go tough, to PayPal's man. actual website right? and find the number and call customer service. And good luck to you, my friend. <laughs> good luck, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Wow. Interesting. All right. Well, we will have a link to that story in the show notes. Uh, so do check that out. Um, my story, uh, actually came to my attention. I I first saw this on Twitter, uh, and it linked to a story over from Sky News written by Alexander Martin. Uh, and it's titled, Criminals Posting Counterfeit Microsoft Products to Get Access to Victims' Computers. Hmm. Um, now, uh, s- since uh, Sky News is uh, from our friends across the pond, when they say posting, they don't mean posting online. They mean sending through the post. Right. So mailing right. Uh, for those of us on this side of the pond. Um, <laughs> for those of us who speak American English, right. uh, not the Queen's English. The good English. <laughs> <laughs> I get everybody in England. Um. This is kind of fascinating. So the, the this was drawn to someone's attention because uh, they, the person who reported this is a gentleman named Martin Pittman, who is a, a cybersecurity consultant. Uh, and his mother called him because she was at a friend's house, and the friend had received a package in the mail that looks like a Microsoft Office professional package. I'm like,
2: looking at it right now, and this— Looks exactly like a Microsoft Office Professional package.
0: Right. So the, it's imagine this is a box that you would buy in a retail store, has the Microsoft logo. Everything looks legit, uh, and when you open it up, inside there is a USB stick, little you know memory stick, which is also. Um, I was gonna say embroidered. That's not right. Uh, embossed maybe? <laughs> embossed. Thank you very much yeah. <laughs> it would take a long time to embroider and, and <laughs> one of these sticks. Yeah, it is embossed <laughs> with the Microsoft Office logo. So that looks legit. And what happens is when you put this in your computer, there's even
2: a product key. This looks very much like an office product mm-hmm. or like a Microsoft product. This is exactly what my Windows install media looks like.
0: Yeah. And who knows? It may be they, you know, maybe they found this in the recycling bin. You know, someone had installed it, thrown it away. You know, who knows? Right. Or they might have paid to have it have it made. No way to know from this article. But uh, what happens if you plug this in immediately? Uh, you get a pop up on your screen that says that you, congratulations, you have a virus. Huh. And they say to fix the issue, call this toll free number okay. to get the computer up and running again. And when you call the number, there is a help desk who installs some sort of team viewer, right? And they take control of the victim's computer. This is very
2: similar to the story I just <laughs> talked about. <laughs>
0: they sort out the problem. Uh, they pass you over to the Office 365 sub- subscription team,
2: right? The no, you have to put air quotes around that, game. Yeah. right? Because <laughs> it's Cause actually it's not, actually the not
0: them. That's right. right. Um, and uh, and that's the scam. Uh, what is remarkable about this is that they went to the time trouble and expense to send a physical package to someone. Yeah, with this, uh, this, you know, this whole virus. I would like to get a scam. copy of this.
2: If if anybody has one and wants to send it to me, let me know.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: I'd like to take a look at it.
0: They seem to be sending these out to the elderly, which mm-hmm. I suppose is not surprising they um of course they checked with Microsoft and Microsoft said yeah this is counterfeit this is not us uh we will we will not send you unsolicited packages uh we will not contact you out of the blue for any reason um Microsoft does have an online reporting tool if you want to you know send this or let them know so they can help track it try to to uh, track it down right but um i i guess the the remarkable part to me is just uh that they went to the expense to do this. Yeah. Obviously, if you get something sent to you in the mail, don't plug it into your computer. Right.
2: That's uh, one of the things Brian Krebs talks about here, or one of his golden rules. If if you didn't ask for it, you don't install it. Yeah. Right? Um, it, what's interesting here is this is not how Microsoft does Office anymore. Mm. This is how they do Windows because you can't, uh, you know, Windows is the operating system. And if you are building a new computer, you can't, just go out and download Windows and install it on your system. I mean, maybe mm. there's a way to do that. I mean, I guess there is. A, there is probably a way to do that. Yeah. Um. But, uh, you may not have that that capability because you may only have one computer in your house, right? Most people aren't like me with six computers in my office, right? Right. Right. <laughs> they, um. So, uh, so they they make this media available for operating system installs yeah but when you put when you get office now you don't actually get a product you get office 365 which is a subscription service Mm -hmm. and yeah i think it's reasonably priced it costs you a hundred dollars a year for you to have uh you know home and student is is what it's what the entry level is cost it also comes with a terabyte of cloud storage for all the users which is great i think I, i think it's a good value i'm 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 a little bit of a. I guess I'm. My, I'm gushing here on, <laughs> on Microsoft, but you don't get media. You just you go to Microsoft's website and you say, "Go ahead and install the Office products I'm licensed for," and and it does it. Yeah. It, and it works very well.
0: Well, and I wonder if you know that's part of why they're uh, targeting older folks with yeah. this because they're more they're used to going to the store and buying a box and you know that you nobody know, that's a comfort there's a comfort level there for Yeah, them, when I when perhaps. I would,
2: yeah, you you buy it you buy a a software box. I mean, I still it, it took me a while to get used to this model. It happened it happened with Steam first, right? Mm. Where you never got an install media for the game and initially I was like, I don't like this. Right. I really don't like this. <laughs> right. You but, like the comfort of having that box on the shelf. Yeah, I got my orange box. I was looking at my orange box yesterday, which is the old Half-Life game, but Okay. uh but when I bought that game, I actually had to sign up for Steam and register it, and I have never, since purchased for probably ten years, I have never touched that media inside. I just download it and install it now. Yeah, I've I've become accustomed to that business model. Yeah, uh, of of online software delivery.
0: Yeah, well, and that's that's the way of things. I mean, yeah, that's, it is. That's how it is. So it makes sense.
2: Everybody be aware. Office does not come this way anymore.
0: Right. Right. All right. Well, we will have a link to that story in the show notes as well. Joe, it is time to move on to our Catch of the Day.
2: Dave, our Catch of the Day comes from William, who writes, I'm seeing a number of these kind of emails that claim to have already charged my account for some service. They often do not explain what the service is, and come from an email address that seems completely unrelated. I assume in this case they want me to call, so the scam can begin. Mm. So, Dave, you want to take a look at this? Comes from uh, it comes from Summer, Dave. Summer, <laughs> Summer, <laughs> yes. who has uh, <laughs> uh, a, a, a an email that's a Gmail address with uh, some some name and then a random bunch of numbers after it. Uh-huh. it looks like a zip code almost uh-huh. here in the U.S. Okay, uh, go ahead. Summer
0: writes. Membership renewal notice. Thank you for your order. Your annual subscription plan is renewed and the services are resumed again. Your device protection and network security shield is reactivated. The automatic recurring fee of $379.98 is charged from account credits. The annual recurring charge will be debited every year from the nominated payment method unless cancelled as your auto debit service is still active. To avoid future payments, or stop auto-debit charges or need assistance related to this charge. Kindly get in touch with our accounts team within two business days. Contact Customer Care Support at this 800 number. You have a good day ahead. Maria Garcia, Consumer Handling and Accounts Team.
2: So, Maria Garcia, not Summer. (laughs) <laughs> um, right, canceled is misspelled. That's kind of good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. One of the things I like about this this one, it's a good example of the artificial time horizon. Mm. You know the the uh, the artificial time constraint. Yeah. That is frequent in social engineering attacks. That should be a big red flag whenever you whenever you hear somebody say, tell you you need to act before a certain time, right. and that time is short. Yeah. You should be okay. Let's slow down here. Mm-hmm. Slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You got a, two days. Yeah. It's a good catch. Yeah. It's a good catch. Thank yeah. you, William. All right. Well, we would love
0: to hear from you if you have something you'd like us to consider. You can email us. It's hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com. All right, Joe. It's always a pleasure to welcome Carol Terrio back to the show. And this week, she is having a conversation with Chuck Everett from Deep Instinct. And they are talking about the benefits of public-private partnerships. Here's
3: Carol Terrio. It seems that the need for public private partnership to combat cyber attacks has never been more urgent. In a recent New York Times article, it said that even if American intelligence agencies picked up on the kind of crippling cyber attacks we've been seeing in the Ukraine, they do not have the infrastructure to move that fast to block them. So I've invited Deep Instinct's Chet Everett. To talk to us about this topic. He's the director of cybersecurity advocacy at Deep Instinct. Welcome, Chuck.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
3: Are we seeing a growing number of public and private partnerships out there?
1: There hasn't been as much growth as we'd like, but definitely there has been some good trends along those lines. Project Ladybird was a great example of that of where joint law enforcement from seven different agencies, as well as some private security researchers came together to bring down emotet botnet. That was the kind of like the, the crown. Mm-hmm. But um, there's been other sporadics here and there, but private threat researchers are definitely helping and in, in giving that leg up to uh, government agencies where they need it.
3: So what does the private sector have that the public sector need?
1: <laughs> Real-time analysis um, of what the threats that are coming in, because a lot of times we're seeing behind the scenes, we talk amongst each other because a lot of it, we don't want the getting out to the public. Um, the companies that we work for, high profile companies that employ our services, don't want it getting out to the public, but yet we need to get that out to the masses. And by providing that to the government and helping them, showing them what trends are going on, things behind the scenes, that a lot of times that don't make it to you know the higher levels of the government as fast as possible because there's so much red tape. So
3: in other words, the Private sector is designed on efficiency and effectiveness and building tools to service that, whereas that's a harder ask inside the public sector, I guess.
1: Correct. You know, even rapid response for the government, they don't have that capability because it crosses several borders. And once it involves several countries, they have to kind of follow it. Threat researchers, we can kind of thread the needle and find out, okay, where this actually is coming from. Um, where are the threats being developed at? Who's utilizing them? Is this nation state sponsored and then got into the hands of criminal elements? Those type of things. We can thread that needle relatively faster than some of the agencies out there. Some of the agencies can, but the problem is they can't go public with it. and They can't go with it because of some of the means. They're they're inhibited by rules. Rules of engagement for government agencies is different than of private threat researchers. So, any
3: private company out there who is starting to collaborate with the public sector needs to exercise i don't know patience i guess because obviously there are going to be hoops that the public sector will have to go through that will be new to the
1: private sector correct yeah it's 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 sometimes it's very disconcerting because you you find a threat you see okay this is actually going on they're actively targeting and the private sector is able to respond a lot faster than sometimes some governments than we'd like them to be. Mm. Not, not all governments are the same, but some of them, you know, it's like, who do you reach out to? Some governments don't have the maturity yet of how to combat this. And that's the problem is that these cyber criminals know where to um, take up shop. They know where, you know, what governments don't have the infrastructure to track them or some governments just don't want to. Um, enforce. I guess there would be also some deep learning opportunities in these collaborations
3: to see, for example, you know, learn new tricks and tips on how to handle things.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And threat researchers, we do that amongst ourselves now, mm-hmm. where we're constantly talking between each other, sharing what information we have, because everybody's got different pieces of the puzzle. Right. And then now we find the government sometimes has more pieces of the puzzle, especially around state actions, um, which will help kind of pull that together. But the problem is, is getting to work and facilitate with them is difficult at times. They, they want that, you know, wrap everything up and hand it to them. But the problem, once it gets there, sometimes that information be leaked out. And by then, the threat actors have moved on because they've gotten tipped off. So a lot of it is just you you got to really protect the data and act fast.
3: Chuck Everett, Director of Cybersecurity Advocacy at Deep Instinct, thanks so much. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans.
2: Joe, what do you think? Dave, I said this recently, and I think it merits me saying this again. Uh, Government tends to be Mm. slow-moving. In many cases, that's by design, right? Yeah. Like actually, our legislative uh, branch of government in the United States is designed. I think it was George Washington who said that uh, the Senate is the tea dish on which the tea of legislation cools. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Or, or something, something yeah, like that. I've so heard that. In yeah. other words, it, you know, the House is supposed to be fast reacting, and the the you know the the panicky group of people that we need a law that says this, and the <laughs> right? Senate is supposed to be the. The, the more thoughtful people that go, well, do yeah. we really need this law? Uh-huh. That was the intention. But it was designed actually to be slow. Yeah. Uh, or to slow down the process.
0: To be deliberative. To
2: be deliberative. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it's not bad that the government is slow moving. But one of the big issues with cybersecurity in the government is that in many cases, it can't respond very quickly. Yeah. Because of its very nature. Right. Uh, additionally, Governm- <laughs> just to ma- sorry, I don't mean to go, interrupt. No, I just ahead. imagine,
0: like, uh, like everybody, we're we're under attack. You know, the cyber, the 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 the, the computers are all being DDoSed. Where there's viruses coming in left and right. Well, we're going to have to put it out to bid. Right, <laughs> somebody's got to fill out this form in right. triplicate. <laughs> right,
2: exactly. <Yeah. laughs> sorry, that, exactly. That's that's that's. That's apt, I think. That fits right in here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Additionally, traditionally, government positions don't pay as well as private sector positions. Right. They kind of lag behind a little bit. The jobs are more secure. You have less fear of a layoff when you're working for the government. Yeah, usually good benefits, too. And usually very good benefits. That's right. Yep, Uh, But hiring people is hard because in cybersecurity, there's this skills gap that we keep hearing about. And companies are willing to pay more. So that's where the cybersecurity professionals go. Right. uh, Because they're willing to pay substantially more than government can afford. Yeah. Um, if you really want to see something interesting, go to a local government website and look at what they pay network administrators hmm. uh, and the requirements for the position. It, I, I don't know how they even hire some of these people. I was looking at uh, Baltimore City's hiring a, or, or position open positions a couple of years ago and was shocked at how little they were paying. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that, I mean, that's part of the problem, I should say.
0: Yeah, well, and it, I think also it leads to a lot of turnover because yeah. folks who take those jobs, I think, quite often are looking at it as some sort of stepping stone. Absolutely. Uh, which is great. Get... You know, it's a great place to learn. To, yep. but, but if you're in charge of – if you're the step above that person uh-huh. and you're going to have to deal with the reality, that chances are you're going to have a lot of turnover.
2: That's 100% correct. That was a, a problem that uh, my father used to complain about when he was working. They used an Oracle database system. And they would take somebody from their company uh, and and train them, or from their organization. It wasn't a company. But they they train them, and the person would get really good at Oracle, and then they'd get hired away for, like, double their salary. Right. Uh, sometimes by Oracle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I would listen to my father grumble about how much he doesn't like Larry Ellison. Huh. <laughs> but there's plenty of other reasons. Not so to like so
0: to grumbling Larry. is a family tradition. It is. It yeah. is. It is, Dave. <laughs>
2: It's okay. a family. Good to know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the parts of the government that can move quickly and and make the associations then generally can't turn around and tell everybody what they found, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that many of our listeners from this area know exactly what Chuck is talking about here, right? Right? right. Hey, that's classified information now. Yeah. So we can't just give that out. Uh, so these uh, in these in these partnerships, the flow of information uh, is probably going to be one way because of that, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about that? You th- these these public uh comp or these you know these private sector companies go, hey, uh, Mr. Government guy, we've got this information here about this emerging threat, and the government guy goes, interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And they say, what else you got? Uh, we can't tell you what else we have. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay too, but it's just got to be the way it is, right? Yeah. Although I will say
0: that. Uh I think it's been remarkable recently when you look at, um, you know, organizations like CISA. Um, mm-hmm. you no, know, CISA does a good job. Jen Easterly, you know, taking the lead there, mm-hmm. um, and and they are all in on these these public-private partnerships. Right. They're also they're they- also
2: all in on on making sure that the information gets disseminated quickly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Which yeah. Is, which is great. Other 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 organizations like the NSA, uh, the the National Security Agency cannot do that right no they can't but uh, but i will
0: add that i i have witnessed personally in the past few years just what a turnaround they've had in terms of outreach um public relations you know just like wanting to be in touch with organizations like us at the cyberwire to help spread information and help open those lines of communications, they sure. have
2: they have done that. They the have, days
0: of no such agency are, are, are kind of behind gone. them. Yeah. yeah, everybody knows that
2: they're there now. <laughs> right. Um. But they they still can't. There's a lot of information they still can't give out. Sure. Right. But sure. what they can give out, they do a good job of disseminating. I will say yeah. that about the NSA. They they've actually moved a little bit towards being a national security agency. Yeah. They're not really just part of the national uh, Department of Defense. I mean, well, they are part of the par- Department of Defense, but. They're they're doing more for the rest of the country as well, not just defense. Yeah, uh, these rules are different for the government, and you know that's kind of what we're talking about here. Prime example, uh, you know, when I was working as a government contractor, especially when I was new in the field, I found a lot of those rules frustrating. Like, why can't we just do this? Right, right, right. Uh, no, we, you can't do that, and there's reasons for it uh, because it, you're talking about taxpayer money, mm-hmm. and that needs to be accounted for and and monitored. So we, you know, when you say we have to put this out for a bid and you joke about that, uh, you know, there's there's a reason we have to put it out for a bid is so that we hope that the—or the hope is that there's not some government guy with a, with a good buddy on the outside going, yeah, yeah, I'm coming—I'm going to make a bid on this, and you're just going to get this. Sure. You're going to buy this service. I mean, you yeah. don't want that, right?
0: Yeah.
2: So I think it was a—I I really enjoyed this interview hearing from Chuck. I thought it was— very interesting to uh, to hear these things. And of course, it's always great to have Carol on the show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, again, we do thank Carol Terrio for bringing us this uh, interesting interview with Chuck Everett from Deep Instinct. We appreciate both of them taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at Isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.